Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, a podcast series brought to you by the Port Authority of Jamaica, Herb Cement, and the Sajikor Foundation. Impacting Jamaica shines the spotlight on the many, but often ignored, positive happenings, activities, projects, and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate, and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica is powered by Grace Kennedy. I am your host, Sinai Fleury, and in this episode, I am so excited because I'm joined by a very special guest. She's a multi-award winning journalist who has recently been appointed as the first ever race correspondent at The Independent. I'm so happy to be joined by none other than Nadine White. Hi, Sana. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this project. No problem, Nadine. Listen, it's an honour to speak to you. Firstly, of course, congratulations on being appointed the Independence first ever race correspondent. Um, you know, it's such a huge milestone for you and for British journalism as well. I do want to come back to this a bit later on. Um, but what's really important for me, I think, is for people to get an understanding of who Nadine White is, you know, where did you come from, what your upbringing was like, and really what your background was, because very often people see, you know, the glory moments, they see the celebrations, and when you do reach these big milestones, but they don't often see the struggle and, you know, the humble beginnings that somebody like yourself might have come from. So let's start right at the beginning. Um, Tell us about your childhood and what it was like growing up um, in a Jamaican household and how that shapes your whole identity and who you are today. Speaking about my childhood, um, we have to go all the way back to uh, the 90s. I was born in 1992 and um, grew up in Brixton, which prior to um, its more recent gentrification was a predominantly Black area and home to um, many uh, people of either Jamaican or of Jamaican descent. Um, it's, it has a reputation for being uh, the black um, capital of, of Europe, actually, Brixton. It's so significant in terms of um, its, its, its representation of black people and, and, and what it means to black communities and not just Jamaican, but um, black communities from different parts of um, the diaspora. So grew up in a, a Jamaican household. My dad um, came over from Jamaica in the 1970s. He's part of the Windrush generation as it's been coined more recently. Um, And my mum was born here in the UK to Jamaican parents who came over as as part of the first wave of um, Windrush migrants in the 1960s. So yeah, very very cultured in terms of um, household. You know, it, it wasn't like a typical typically a a British or Anglicised household, you know, we're very proud uh, Jamaicans or people of Jamaican descent and um, that manifested in in every way possible, you know, Um, norms and values, um, music, uh, the kinds of things that we'd eat, Um, definitely, definitely music, both my parents were big um, lovers of reggae music and dancehall. Um, so growing up, that was what I was um, exposed to as my, um, you know, first experiences of of life, really. Um, and it's something that I've, I've I've carried with me moving forward. It's definitely molded me um, as, you know, your formative um, childhood experiences would mold anyone. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that's a bit about my childhood. I went to a local um, primary school in, in Dulwich um, 
and then around year three, my my mum and dad abruptly took my brother and I out of the school and actually moved us into a school called Theodore McCleary School, which was based within Brixton's Seven Day Adventist Church. And the school was very, very small. We're talking about 30 different people, like 30 people in right. the school and run by a Jamaican family. So we would be singing, you know, Jamaican Christian choruses, praying. It was a, a church-based school, but we would get like a, a, a proper Jamaican type of, um, in, 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 like a Jamaican-inspired education. Um, mm. It was completely different to the state school experience, uh, but that also is another aspect of my childhood that helped to mould me as well, and it's something I'll never forget. Yeah, and I mean, you speaking about just your school right there, um, it sounds completely different to like the schooling that I experienced in primary school. Um, what do you think were the positives of going to a, a predominantly Jamaican school or Jamaican run school than to say going to a normal mainstream state run school? So going to um, Theodore McClary school, um, it fortified my sense of identity as being a black British girl of Jamaican descent. Um, it gave me experiences that I certainly would not have got in a, a predominantly white school, you know, so-called mainstream school. Um, and it really um, instilled in me a sense of pride in my Jamaican identity. Um, I'll, I'll forever be grateful. So we do things like sing the Jamaican national anthem, you know, which wouldn't happen in a million years in, 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 and certainly didn't in, in my previous school. And it wouldn't happen in any other, as I say, supposed mainstream school. Um, as I say, Jamaican chorus is a type of food that we'd eat at lunchtime as well. You Tell know. us about that, because I want to have a little comparison to what I was given at primary school to what you had. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, the, the food. We'd have things like, um, you know, we would have rice and peas, chicken, okay. um, white rice, uh, traditional kind of meats cooked up, predominantly chicken, to be honest with you, because Adventists don't really, um, anyone who knows anything about some of the Adventists, they're not really into red meat. Um, it's mainly fish and chicken. So those are the kinds of foods that we'd have but cooked in a traditional Jamaican way and also some vegetarian um, dishes in there also. But yeah, it was a, it was a total experience. And in, in many ways, home away from home yeah. as well. Um, because as I say, a lot of the um, norms and values and, and the customs and traditions that we were exposed to in school in Theodore McClary was very much um, reflective, very much one in the same um, of the, the 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 experience that that we had within our households as as Black British Jamaican um, children, so it was beautiful, and I and I certainly look back at that time in my life and um, and smile. And there was a, a real emphasis on that like, as far as English, which is always a subject that I excelled in. Always, always hated maths and loved English, which is where my love of writing was born. There was a real emphasis on grammar, you know, and and articulation and, and for anyone who's had like a sound um, Jamaican education, you will know that there is, the, the approach is extremely thorough um, in that regard when it, I mean, across the board, but certainly when it comes to English, um, yeah. which is why, you know, a lot of people, if you hear them talk, um, people um, who go to school here or are aware of the um, Jamaican education system, they will praise uh, the approach that is taken in terms of educating children in Jamaica and it's not uncommon to hear um, cases where children who are born in the UK are sent back to Jamaica to get their education to then come back to the UK um, to begin their careers you know but 
I, we were fortunate in that we were able to access such a good education um, from Jamaicans, very learned through Theodore McClary School right mm -hmm. here in the UK. Okay, that sounds amazing. Is the school still around or...? It isn't, unfortunately. It breaks my heart to say. Um, so I left um, there to go to secondary school, start year seven in 2004, and it closed about three years after that. There are a lot of challenges, um, which I wasn't aware of at the time, being a child, that I came to understand with running a, a small school, particularly as a Black um a black family and all the challenges that come with that is, is a really small school, as I say, issues um, surround funding um, mainly and, and other things. So it wasn't able, unfortunately, to withstand um, some of the challenges that came with it and closed. But yeah, um, it was running for about about 15 years. Um, yeah, so I got a good, good chunk of the time there. And yeah, it's um, it changed my life for the better going to Theodore McCleary School and it's um. It's amazing. It was an amazing place to learn. And it's, it's so nice to hear you speak about, um, you know, your primary school in such a positive light. Um, you know, you was mentioning, you know, the standards that they would have, the emphasis on English and just the overall feeling of a home from home. And you mentioned the food there. And I said I was going to do a slight comparison. And I was like listening to you talk about rice and peas. And I was like, listen, we didn't get that at my school. It was strictly like spaghetti hoops, baked beans, right. potatoes. Right. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. And that was very much, yeah, as I say, my experience of um, of school in terms of food um, at, the, at the one I went to before. So we were lucky, so lucky. And things like, you know, pride, taking pride in one's appearance, mm. taking pride in oneself, you know, particularly um, as Black British uh, children who will grow into adults and be and unfortunately have to navigate a world where the odds are stacked against you. Having a sense of dignity and pride instilled in you is so important. We couldn't go to Theodore McClary School without our shoes um, polished. What would happen? We would get we would get cussed, obviously in an appropriate way. But we, you know, we would be asked a question. How 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 do you really stay? You need to fix up, you know. Uh, you need to uh, pride, take pride in yourself, was something that was um, drilled into our heads yeah. by um, the, the the lovely head, lovely but strict head teacher, Mrs. Thompson. So you know, if you couldn't have um, if you couldn't access shoe polish, or if, if if you'd run out of that at home, then there was a little trick we were taught, which is to bunch up like a pair of black tights and use that to rub your shoes, and that would actually make it shine. So that's something that stayed with me. Um, no ladders and tights, your hair must be fixed and that, you, you, you must be presentable, you know, as young um, ladies and gentlemen. Those are the kinds of lessons that were instilled. I'm, I'm talking and I'm actually beaming. You can probably hear my smile because it's just life lessons, man. Fundamental life lessons. And um, yeah, great time, great time. Fantastic. And um, I mean, you mentioned there that you had a love of English very early on, you know, in your childhood, and that probably inspired you to go on to pursue a career as a journalist. What made you want to become a journalist? And when did you realise, you know, you wanted to make a step into the world of media? So I, yeah, as I said, always, I've always enjoyed um, English as a subject. I've always, you know, had a love of writing, I love of um, having conversations with people, communicating um, through conversations and through writing, always, always. Um, and so I excelled in English, always hated maths like poison, but you know, uh, it was a necessity <laughs> to get that, <laughs> to get that um, 
you know, GCSE at the end of schooling. So I had to persevere with maths, but awful, awful um, subject for me. Um, in terms of my, my journalism aspirations, that came towards like seriously towards my late teens. So we're talking about 18, 19 years old. Prior to that, when you start to think about what you wanna be when you grow up, you know, like in the years prior, when you're much younger, I imagined myself as being a teacher initially. Mm. Um, so we're talking about age 10, nine, saw myself being a teacher. And I think that had a lot to do with um, my exposure to some of the most amazing teachers that I'm sure have ever walked this land through my own school and experience. So I'd look at their example and say, oh, I, I, I would love to be able to positively impact students in the way that they, you know, are inspirations to me. And then, you know, you get older and you start, your mind starts to wonder, you start to um, toy around with um, the different possibilities. And I thought about going into law. This is around 13, 14, going into law. Um, all the while enjoying writing, you know, but just not really seriously considering writing as a viable career prospect. And then I thought about becoming a, a, a novelist, an author, because in my love of writing, I would you know, do things like write poetry in my spare time, short stories, things like that. And I thought to myself, imagine if I'd be able to do something that I love as much as writing stories and channel that into, into, into a career, how cool would that be? So with journalism, that was kind of the last kind of aspiration that I landed on that I decided to pursue. But the reason why it was last is because it always kind of struck me as an unattainable um, goal, you know, looking around growing up somewhere like Brixton, which back then was one of the UK's most socially disenfranchised um, areas. Myself and people around me were of the, of, the, of the thought that journalists don't come from where we come from. You know, we, we turn on the TV, we don't see black people, black anchors or your black journalists who are representing us as a community, as, as black people, certainly not ones who come from Brixton. We pick up newspapers, we pick up magazines, we don't see black journalists um, bylines or black journalists profile pictures, you know, on the page next to their words. So it always struck me as an exclusively white middle class field. So how dare I think about entering that field? But you know what? As the years rolled on um, and I became more aware of that, you know, lack of diversity in news and lack of representation, I resolved to try and be a part of the change I want to see. And enter journalism, you know, as it became more and more attractive to me as a goal, albeit unattainable, um, to be a part of the change that I want to see. And so uh, that's where my that's where my um, ambitions to become a journalist uh, came from. But you know, in embarking on my, I didn't really know where to where to begin with that. So embarking on the, my journalism career, I resolved to do what I could where I was with what I had, and what I had was a love for my Jamaican culture a deep deep deeper still love for the music specifically um and so I began before long writing for online small publications um about music you know uh, so I started out in entertainment and lifestyle um journalism and before long I began um producing um a show, a few shows at a local radio station by the name of Play Vibes, which was internet back then, an internet station, um, producing like the flagship reggae show there. And through there, you know, I'd get contacts, I'd get um, access to, to shows and concerts and, and things like that. And then after Play Vibes, I joined Choice FM, which before it, you know, was rebranded in 2013, 
um, made history as being the UK's first legal black radio station. And I, I produced the official reggae chart show at Choice FM for a couple of years. So I've long been in, immersed in, in Jamaican culture from um, and music from childhood days. And that is really, it provided the springboard for my entry into journalism, actually. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. Yeah. And I mean, did you face any challenges like getting into the industry? And I mean, if you did, like, how did you overcome these? We know that journalism and media in the UK is predominantly white with black journalists only making up a very tiny proportion of the industry. I mean, how did you overcome any challenges that you faced? Yeah, I mean, exactly. The last um, statistic that I saw about um, diversity stats in UK journalism is that just 0.2% of working journalists in the UK are black, which is astounding. And you know, there's a lot that needs to change when it comes to diversity in the industry. And so because the the crux of my experience, the bulk of my experience um, as far as writing and journalism work, including my production work at those stations was very much to do with um, black culture, Jamaican music, Jamaican art form. Um, I found that when I was sending out my CVs to get, um, you know, opportunities to work within more mainstream um, publications and outlets, no one would reply to me. I I wouldn't, I'd either get no reply or turn down flat out for those opportunities. And I realized it probably had a little, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that my um, CV didn't strike prospective employers or people who could give me those opportunities as being particularly anglicised, you know? And so what I started to do was anglicise my CV. So for instance, at Play Vibes, instead of writing, oh, I produced um, the reggae show there, it would be, I produced a music show, you know? Make it a bit more vague. But I found by anglicising my CV in that way and and making it more, making references to to what I was doing a bit more um, bland, uh, I was I would at least get a response and get through the door to get to interview stage. But then I'd be turned down for interviews for one reason or another, and only they can really speak to why that is. And so I was finding it very very difficult to break through um, into mainstream through just sending applications directly. The Voice newspaper um, is the UK's longest running black publication. And I was fortunate enough to begin freelancing for the Voice newspaper um, on the entertainment and lifestyle desk in 2013. At that time, I was about 21 years old. And um, it was beautiful because I was able to, they appreciated it. The editor at the time was um, Davina Hamilton, brilliant woman. And she... Davina's amazing and you know quickly became a mentor to me as well as an editor and we're we're firm friends until this day but she understood you know the the importance of what I was doing as far as reporting about the music and the culture she appreciated that um, as did the other editors at the Voice newspaper as well so they were happy to give me a platform to continue reporting on um, reggae music specifically for a couple of years and then after doing that I was able to make a transition into news reporting and current affairs reporting through the Voice newspaper as a platform, as a respected platform. And after that, doors began to open as far as um, opportunities to, um, to delve into um, white, the white mainstream sphere. 
I've watched your journey and your rise and your continued rise um, over the years. And I tell you, it's nothing but astounding, you know, and really, really inspirational. Impact in Jamaica was brought to you by the Port Authority of Jamaica, Carib Cement and the Sagicor Foundation. If you or anyone you know is involved with projects and activities that excite, motivate and encourage, send us an email at impactingjamaica at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Do join us again for another in the series on SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Stitcher, or on Deezer. You can also visit us at impactingjamaica.com. Impacting Jamaica is powered by Grace Kennedy.